What's up, party people? I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is what, week two of our four weeks of Halloween that we're celebrating on the show, as we're thinking of it. Episode 134, The Craft. As we mentioned last week, with these three films leading into our Halloween film, there is a theme, if you can be the first one to guess it and hit us up with it. We still don't know for sure what your present is going to be, but we will like go out of our way to give you a prize. So, like, yeah, if be you want a prize from us, like before when we didn't know what happened, what we were going to give somebody, Quincy ended up with a sweet ass trophy. Think of what you could end up with. Precisely. So it's exciting news. So yeah, this is the second episode of a three part themed leading Series. into our yeah leading into our Halloween episode. So yeah, I'm excited to see if anybody guesses it right, and if not, it's okay too. Last week, of course, was laid to rest. So that was your first clue. Today, being the craft, that's your second clue. This one is more obvious of a clue than last week. I think so. <laughs> Pretty much on the nose this week. But anyway, before we get into everything having to do with the craft, how was your week? Yeah, it was pretty laid back. Nothing too outside the norm. Like I said, still doing some soccer stuff with Jeff and with Lewis, and picked up today's film in the mail and also next week's film in the mail. So I've got a couple things in the mail. How's the soccer stuff going with the way the weather's suddenly turning? Honestly, not too bad. I was kind of you know leery about that because here in montana this time of year it starts to get cold it's been actually pretty pleasant the last couple of days the last, last couple week days, but... last week was on the verge of being really shitty so rain wise not too bad it's just the the white stuff and i'm not talking about cocania it snows here so i haven't seen a whole lot of that yet yet yeah exactly and we have seen some a little bit keep hearing it's gonna be a fun with giant air quotes around it winter <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, yeah, I didn't do anything this... I, I can't remember. I know I did something this week, but I, I fucking know what it was. I went and saw Joker last night. Oh, yeah. How was that? It was good. Nothing super special. But it's weird. It's obviously hitting like other people. My theory right now with the Joker is that it's a mainstream character, so everybody in the world is going to watch it. The movie's not really a mainstream movie. It's kind of an art housey throwback to the 70s kind of homage to Scorsese, which is a little bit gross considering he's the producer on it. But Right, that makes sense. And I think it, it almost feels like for a lot of people, this is the first time watching kind of like a semi-art house movie. And so like at the end of the movie, there was people in my theater who were like clapping. And wow. I'm like, ah. <laughs> it reminded me of a less effective Bronson. I heard that, yeah. And it still wasn't bad. I'm really glad I went, but I'm also not clamoring to go and watch it again. It was good. I'm glad I watched it. That's, yeah, that's about it. Gotcha. Well, that's cool, man. At least he got out and got to check it out. Keen kills it. He does oh, a great, he's a great job. Actor. If you want to go see a great performance, like I talked about in the Bone Tomahawk episode, just like losing great actors' faces in their character. I know what the fuck Joaquin Phoenix looks like. Entire time he was on screen, all I saw was the character. That's awesome. Other than maybe like two little scenes, but from what I understood it too is like he kind of encaptured that whole essence of his character. So it's cool to see him in roles like that. But yeah, outside of that, man, I can kind of delve into some of the news of the week that caught my eye. There's actually some pretty interesting stuff, and this week I'm going to lead off with a Zack Snyder bit of trivia and. 
looks like they've given some more details on his upcoming zombie movie. This is for Netflix. The Netflix one, yeah. Right, Army of the Dead. And from what I got here, it looks like he had a chat not too long ago with another article outlet, but essentially this is what the film's plot is about. He says that the movie takes place in Las Vegas. A zombie plague hits Vegas, and they're able to contain the virus to the city. So what they do is they build a wall out of shipping containers, and then the city falls. And six years later, one of the casino owners hires this group of zombie soldiers to go get his money that he left in a safe in the casino. So, oh, okay. Uh, they're actually sh- filming it in Atlantic City. I can see why, because that fucking place sucks. What is it's it? kind of a dead Army land. of the Dead? Is that what it is? Army of the Dead, yeah. Okay. So, apparently, it looks like it's going to come out to Netflix next winter. And it's got a slew of actors in it, some pretty well known names. One that kind of surprised me was Cristalia, okay. comedian. Let's see, Ana de la Roguera. There's Dave Bautista, people of that nature. Like I said, it's got a pretty interesting cast, so keep my eyes open for that. Next bit of news I have involves a female director, and it looks like Gigi Sol Guerrero is directing a horror film based on Santa Muerta mythology. So apparently, if you're familiar with that, or if you're not, Santa Muerta is an idol in Mexican folklore. It's a personification of death. She is associated with healing, protection, and safe delivery to the afterlife by her devotees. There's a dark tourist episode on Netflix where he goes to find some Santa Muerta cult devotees and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Well, that might be a good lead-in into the upcoming film. (laughs) So that'd be kind of an interesting thing to do. Yeah, dark tourist on Netflix. Go watch it. It's great. Check it out. Why not? So actually, you showed me a new purchase that you had bought. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I've been just gradually, slowly getting through throughout the week. Looks good. Just from the little bit that we watched together, it's like, man, it looks so good. But I do have some news concerning The Shining because just recently there was an auction in London. This was a part of the Prop Stores Entertainment Memorabilia Live Auction that was at the BFI, which is the British Film Institute's IMAX Waterloo. And that's in London. And some of the props that were included were Freddy's glove from Freddy vs. Jason. There was Ghostface's knife from Screen Part 2. The Necronomicon from Army of Darkness. And Carrie White's bloody prom dress from Carrie. That was back in 2013. Oh, so the remake. And that was the hero knife, wasn't it? Like that was the on-screen, like what you saw him like running with and shit most of the time knife. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the coolest horror movie props that was up for grabs was Jack Nicholson's axe from The Shining which sold for four times the amount it was expected to. So with that, how much do you think it fetched? Oh, shit. I looked at what they were expecting it to, and I can't remember what it was. I can give you a hint. It's more than $50,000. No more than a million dollars. 95? K? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Okay, so I like two. Two mil then. No, no, no. It went. It was less for, for oh, less okay. than a million. It went for one hundred seventy thousand pounds, which roughly oh, translates okay. to okay. two hundred and ten thousand dollars here for the states. That's quite a fetch, man. So, it says a side note is that the prop is approximately three feet in length, with a wooden handle and foot long blade that is an inch thick. It says the sides from a few scratches because it was used in the film. The axe is reportedly in excellent condition. Now, here's something that's interesting because when I went to Seattle as a part of that museum I went Mm -hmm. to, they had an exhibit full of movie props, and the axe was a part of that exhibit. So it makes me wonder if that was the actual prop itself or was just a replica prop. Right. (laughs) Because if it sold for 200 and almost, well, it's at 209,000 plus, 
it's hard for me to see that being at a museum exhibit, but then again, I'm, I don't know for sure. It's still kind of interesting. But oh, and I highly recommend picking up the 4K oh, edition dude. of The Shining if you have the means to view it, because I got it this week, been slowly getting through it, just because it's a long movie, and I haven't had enough time to just really sit with it yet, but the detail is amazing. Yeah, one of the things that was telling you while we were watching it is that it looks like it's a modern film something that would have been filmed you know recently not almost four decades ago yeah. unbelievable so freddy's glove from freddy versus jason sold for a little under thirty-eight thousand dollars. it says jason's machete from the same film went for about ten thousand okay. dollars jason's axe from friday the 13th remake sold for about $4,500. And there's some other stuff that, if you're curious, you can go on a Bloody Disgusting. Was there a Necronomicon in there? There was, but they didn't give a price for it. Okay. It said some of the other results from the auction includes treasures from Alien, the film Blade, Dog Soldiers, Ghostbusters, Gremlins Part Two, Hellraiser, World War Z, and, and many more. So, mm. yeah, if you're curious, you can check that out on Bloody Disgusting. All right, the next bit of news I have is actually a continuation of a film... It was actually, I mean, it's going to be seven now, but that film is Tremors Part Seven, so it oh, has I been, saw that. yeah, it has Fuck been yes. announced, and Michael Gross, who reprises his role once again as Burt Gummer, he confirmed it on his Facebook page. He says, "This is kind of neat." He says, "30 years ago, I was on location for the original Tremors film, and in a month's time." will be in Thailand beginning filming says three decades and I'm grateful to the many official Tremors franchise fans for the fun ride. So a little bit of the plot that has been grabbed is that of course the Graboids are back. They were illegally brought into a new island resort by a rich playboy looking for a trophy hunt. Oh, okay. Yeah, so one of the directors who's been in you know, a couple of these films, I think part five and then last year's part six, is returning to the helms to direct this one, part seven. So interesting news concerning that, especially if you're a fan of Tremors. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. All right, I've got two more bits of news, and that rounds out the things that caught my eye. So this is actually something you mentioned to me throughout the week, but it has been reported that Andre Overdahl is directing a Dracula film, and that is The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Oh, yeah. I forgot that that happened this week. That sounds super interesting. I love the Dracula story. I think that's a neat way of doing a new Dracula film without... Rehashing probably, like, with, the same shit. And it's funny because it's rehashing it, but it's and rehashing... A different light. The, it's rehashing the portion that everyone always skips over. Right. Which is the, the voyage. voyage on the Demeter where he gradually takes out the crew one by one. Yeah, and that's exactly what it says here. It says that the Demeter actually was the name of the ship that transported Dracula from Transylvania to London in Bram Stoker's classic tale. It says, in the 1897 novel, the ship washes up on the shores of England, tattered and broken with one raving mad survivor. So I think that would be a good way just to tell that whole tale. The voyage, like I said, something that gets usually skimped right over in the films. I can't remember for sure, but I think they might have done an homage to that in Helsing Ultimate. and that. Nice. The, oh, you know what? I think you're right. The aircraft carrier or whatever it was is the Demeter. Yeah, that is really cool. <laughs> and if you haven't seen uh, Helsing Ultimate, you might not want to do them on mushrooms, but <laughs> it's definitely worth the watch. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so the last little bit of news has to do with a director we've covered a couple of times in the show, and that is Jordan Peele. So it has been reported that Universal Pictures has inked a five-year exclusive production partnership with Peele and his company, 
Monkey Paw Productions. This is the new trend, is studios are locking down producers for lengths of time. He's not by any means the first, though he oh, might no. be the first that's horror-related so that we can like talk about it, but I think somebody locked down J.J., I know Greg Berlanti, the guy that does all the uh, superhero shows for WB, has been locked down in a big multi-year deal where he made all the money. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably why, too, because they know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has how many hit shows on their station? Yeah, that seems to be the norm there now on WB. Mm -hmm. So So that's awesome. Yeah, I guess he's the first one, though, that crosses over into our realms a lot more. So I'm trying to think of who else would be a producer that... James Wan? Somebody going to lock down Wan? I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who else, really. but I think before too long, especially once the hits start rolling, it'll probably become more of a norm for Mm -hmm. production companies to do that, or studios at least. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. But, you know, we have noted that the next Monkey Paw production is actually Candyman, and I know that's one we're both looking forward to. So that'll be fun. But, yeah, aside from that, that's kind of... The news articles I've caught. I haven't watched the latest Creep Show episode. I did watch the first one. Pretty decent. Oh, right. It wasn't anything like that blew my mind, but still, practical effects were really good. It's good to see familiar faces and some different roles, of course. Yeah. I almost put on Creep Show the other night, and then I was like, oh, yeah, new season of Big Mouth. <laughs> so now I'm through the new season of Big Mouth already. Understandable. And I'm probably going to go through it again within the week. Nice, dude. Shit. Anyway, let's get into the guts and bolts of the craft. Guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts for the craft. 1996. That's it. Sweet. Oh, shit. I didn't even think of synopsis. I mean, it shouldn't be hard, but also, what can I not give away? Spoiler free synopsis for the craft. New girl at school falls in with the outcast group of girls who are more than they seem. I don't... I mean, the it's kind of in the title, right? Like, it's implied yeah. that they're all witches you see, to begin with, right? All the marketing is them as witches. I, I was just saying, that you should be able to put two and two together. I'm trying to, yeah. So, I guess it's, be careful what you wish for. That Again. too, yeah. <laughs> Again? Again, yeah, you're right. But that's absolutely true about <clears throat> this film. So, of course, like every other film that we review, we like to talk about our cast and crew, kind of sell you on the idea of some of the films you might recognize them from. So this week I'm going to start off with our director and one half of the writing team, and that is Andrew Fleming. Now, Mr. Fleming is known for directing such films as Bad Dreams. He's also directed Hamlet Part 2 and the film Ideal Home. Did you ever watch that? Which one? Hamlet Part 2. No, but I know about it. I've always saw the previews like I, on VHSs or DVDs. I feel like I saw terrible reviews for it, but all the trailers I that's saw for it. That's a Coogan film, right? Yeah. All the trailers I saw for it looked like it was going to be right up my alley. I know. So. That's what I was thinking, too. I just never got around to watching it, which is funny. Yeah. But, oh well. but I did mention that along with directing, he has one half of the writing team. He helped with the screenplay, and the other half is Peter Filardi. Now, Peter is known for some actually really cool films. He helped write the screenplay for the 1990s Flatliners. Actually, really good film. Sweet. He's also known for the screenplay for the film Ricky Six. If you've ever seen Salem's Lot, the television series from 2004. He was also responsible for an episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes from the stories of Stephen King in 2006. He helped with The Road Virus Heads North. 
Okay. All right. Our cinematographer, we have actually talked about before, believe it or not, and that is Alexander Grzynski. Now, he was the cinematographer on such films as Bad Dreams, the film Tremors from 1990, Page Master, the film Dick, Hamlet Part Two, a few of the Medea films. So if you've seen some Medea films, you've probably seen his work. And he was also the cinematographer on the film Ideal Home. Our editor is Jeff Freeman. He is known for editing such films as... I had to write this one down because my brother was a fan of this film, but The Dirt Bike Kid. And if you've ever seen the film A Christmas Story, okay, then you know who Ralphie is, and that's Peter Billingsley. He's yep, also yep. a director. And Peter Billingsley, I don't know if it's his first role, but it's absolutely one of his first ones, is in The Dirt Bike Kid from way back in the early 80s. All right. Jeff is also the editor on the films Bad Dreams, Repossessed. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's like we've seen that, reviewed that. He was also the editor for such films as Cruel Intentions, Just Friends, Hamlet Part Two, Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay, which is one of my favorites, man. That movie's oh, so fucking great. funny. He's also the editor on Ted 1 and 2, and more recently, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh, shit. So he's starting to hang out with McFarlane. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that's some pretty big names. All right. So our music was actually by another person we've talked about before, and that is Graham Revell. And Graham is known for composing music on such films as Idle Hands, which we've covered. Crow, Street Fighter, Mighty Morphin, Power Rangers, From Dusk Till Dawn, The Saint, The Negotiator, Bride of Chucky, basically anything you saw in the mid-90s. Pretty much, dude. <laughs> Some pretty cool shit, like you were mentioning. Daredevil, Freddy vs. Jason, Sin City. And one that I really enjoy, if you like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Marky Mart, is The Basketball Diaries. Mm. It's a really good one. But you're right, like pretty much any film you've seen in the 90s, he was pretty much the composer for. Uh, Spawn... Tank Girl. Yeah, stuff like Bride of Chucky. We've mentioned Idle Hands. Hard Target. <laughs> yeah, Titan AE, which is really cool. He did uh, Dune, the miniseries, Lord Craft, Daredevil, Freddy vs. Jason. Planet Terror. Yeah, dude. Sin City, Assault on Precinct 13. Like I said, even some video games, Call of Duty 2. Oh, The People Under the Stairs. Yeah, dude. So yeah. more than one. Like I said, pretty awesome. All right, moving along, we have a special effects team, and they are... Altirian, also Lebensfeld Productions, and Sony Pictures Imageworks. They were known at SPI back then. This movie was produced by Douglas Wick. The production companies were Columbia Pictures. They helped present the film, along with Red Wagon Entertainment. The distributor was Columbia Pictures. They helped with the 1996 United States theatrical release. The release date was April 26th. 1996 in Hollywood, California. That's where it had its premiere. And then May 3rd, 1996, along with the rest of the United States. The budget was an estimated $15 million. It grossed here in the States $24.8 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $56 million. So not bad. No, yeah, it's pretty good. All right, I do have a tagline finally. And this one has, Welcome to the Witching Hour. Just kind of on the nose, but it's appropriate for. Is that the only one? It's the only one. There was a couple. I wish I would have written them down. Now there was a couple lines I ran into in this movie where I was like, "Oh shit, that's got to be the tagline." Oh shit, that's got to <laughs> be the tagline. There was like two or three things that Fruza Balk says that I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh that's got to be one of the taglines." There are some very poignant lines in this that fare a lot better than the one that we get for the tagline, <laughs> but so be it. I didn't write it. Yeah. 
All right, so moving along, I'm going to go over to our cast, and we've got a really cool cast for this film. I'm going to lead off with actress Robin Tunney. She plays the role of Sarah Bailey in this film. Some of the roles that you might recognize Robin in is if you've ever seen the film Encino Man, you might have seen her in that. She was in Empire Records, a film I highly recommend. Right before this. Yeah, literally right before this. She was also in an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. End of Days. Yes, yeah, she was. She was also in Vertical Limit. We need Limit. to do End of Days because that's, I think, one of the only movies I can think of where like, they're like, okay, let's just shoot the devil to death. I know, right? We'll get to it <laughs> for sure. All right, if you've ever seen Prison Break, the television series, she was in that from 2005 through 2006. She was also a part of the Mentalist television series from 2008 through 2015. She was also in the film Monster Party, and more recently, you can see her in the television series The Fix. All right, moving along, we have Faruza Balk. She plays the role of Nancy Downs. Vicky Valancourt. Yeah, dude. Now, she got one of her major breaks because she was in Return to Oz, which is really cool. She was also in The Island of Dr. Moreau. You might have seen her in American History X. She was in The Water Boy, right? She was also in Almost Famous. You might have seen her in the film Deuces Wild. She was also in an episode of Masters of Horror. If you've seen the Pick Me Up episode, she was in that in 2006. And it looks like more recently she was a part of the Ray Donovan television series in 2015. Now, she's also a musician, so you might be able to hear some of her music one day. All right, along with... These other two actresses, we have Nev Campbell. She plays the role of Bonnie Harper in the film. Now, one of the earliest things I remember Nev from, actually, is an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark back in 1994. Oh, shit. I, which means I saw every episode of that. I don't remember them She all. was in the one about the soup. I haven't watched them in years. I was even lent them all on DVD like a year ago, and then I never watched them, and I just gave it back because I'm like, I'm just sitting on this. I'm not watching this shit. I started watching one of them, and I'm like, holy fuck, this is Canadian. It's not only super Canadian, it's super early 90s Canadian with a lot of familiar faces now. Which, I mean, she's from Canada, so it makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Her accent slips through a couple times in this movie. Um, She and Feruza, believe it or not, because Feruza lived in Vancouver for a while. All right, so another series I grew up watching and I recognize now from prior to this film, believe it or not, is A Party of Five. She was in that from 1994 through 2000. We've actually talked about her before because she was in Wes Craven's Scream. Now, she was in Screams 1, 2, 3, and 4. You might have also seen Nev in the film Wild Things. She was in the film 54. You might have seen her in the film Walter. And probably more recently in The House of Cards from 2016 through 2017. Or more recently, Wild Things on repeat at like, <laughs> you know, 1.30 in the morning. Some people do that. I'm no stranger. All right, moving along, we have actress Rachel True, which actually might be one of the few times we'll actually get to talk about her for obvious reasons, but... She plays the role of Rochelle Zimmerman. Now she, She's Mary Jane. That's what I'm getting at. Mary Jane Popman. Yeah, dude, come on. Mary Jane. Now, Rachel, she kind of started off in television series. Now, you might have seen her as a part of The Cosby Show because she was in it from 1991 through 1992. She was also in the film CB4. It's a Chris Rock film. It's fucking funny. She was also, of course, in the film Half-Baked. You might have seen her in With or Without You. She was a part of the Drew Carey television series in 97 through 1998. She was also in Groove. You might have seen her in the television series Half and Half from 2002 through 2006. She was also a part of Sharknado 2 and Sharknado Heart of Sharkness. 
you want to hear something super meta. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't about her. She was just a a character, I believe. But she was in an episode of the show titled Being Mary Jane. That's awesome, isn't that? (laughs) Hell yeah. Super meta. All right. So moving along, we have actor Skeet Ulrich. He plays the role of Chris Hooker. Now, there's a couple of titles that he was actually in uh, way before this, and we've actually talked about him before. But uh, scream. Yeah. But he was actually uncredited in the film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, you've mentioned he was in Scream with Neff Kimball. He was also a part of the film The Newton Boys. You might have seen him in the television series Into the West from 2005. He was also a part of the Jericho television series from 2006 through 2008. He was in the film Armored. He was also a part of Law & Order Los Angeles. That was in 2010 through 2011. And more recently, you can see him in Riverdale, the television series. He was in it from 2017 and more recently through uh, 2019, which is really cool. All right, we have Christine Taylor. She plays the role of Laura Lizzie in the film. Now, another one of those early Nickelodeon shows that I recognized her from way before this film came out was a television series, Hey, hey Dude. Dude. From 1989 through 1991, she was also in the film Night of the Demons Part 2. One of her major breakout roles is actually in the Brady Bunch movie. I loved Hey Dude. Marcia, I remember that it would go Marcia. back and back to back with fucking... It's a little wild, it's a little stream. <laughs> it would go back to back with Salute Your Shorts. Yeah, it was catch it so good, man. Every time I could, those two shows back to back. All right, little tangent here about that show. And this is crazy. Fucking well, Zeke the Plumber still scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Dude, Nickelodeon in the 90s was rocking. Now, this is one of the few times we'll ever probably get to talk about Hey Dude. But my Uncle Paul used to uh, have parrots. And one of the parrots that he had, we actually named it Hey Dude. Because during the time period, my brother and I would watch that on the weekends. And the bird the knew how to say it. He knew hey. No, he just say it. He would do like a high-pitched, but that was his name, and that's what he went by. So (laughs) a little history with that. All right. So, So, okay. I think this just fits in because we're stoners, and this is our fucking (laughs) podcast. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about parents saying shit. I can't confirm that this ever actually happened because I don't – anyway, one of my buddies when I was living back home that we would get stoned with all the time and shit, we kept trying to get – it wasn't a parrot, but it was one of those birds that could talk. I can't remember which type it was, but it was one of those ones that could learn to talk, right? Gotcha. And we kept trying to get it to say this phrase, knock it off, stoner, you're getting belligerent. <laughs> That's funny. Just, we would get stoned and just sit there, try just repeating it to it over and over and over. Now, I can't confirm this actually happened, but I do know that one time we went to hang out with him and we came in and his mom started bitching us out and she's like, fucking bird wouldn't shut up and let me go to sleep last night. It just kept, knock it off, stoner, you're getting belligerent. <laughs> knock it off, stoner, you're getting belligerent. <laughs> that is hilarious dude so that was awesome oh my gosh i could imagine like what the hell is this bird going on about that's fucking hilarious dude wow but i never heard it say anything that's wild but still it it knew what you guys were saying it mimicked it that's awesome all right a few of the other roles that i have christina in you might have seen her in an adam sandler film and that's the wedding singer she was also in zoolander one and two she was also in Dodgeball, which I love that film. And Actually, I think they're trying ben to make Stiller a second one. Ben Stiller was in her for a number of years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was also, of course, in Tropic Thunder, and you might have seen her in Arrested Development. Now, she was in it all the way back in 2004 and more recently in 2019 because it's still out. Breckenmeyer, believe it or not, is in this film as Mitt. 
some of the early roles that I have him in is he was in Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare. He was in the film Clueless. You might have seen him in the film 54. The film I remember him in is in Road Trip, which is a good one. Clueless, I fucking love Clueless. So Great film, man. He was also in Rat Race. You might have seen him in Garfield's 1 and 2. I recently learned he was almost Jay in Mallrats. That's crazy, isn't it? Him and Seth Green were both the That'd runners up. <laughs> now, you might have heard his voice because he lent it in King of the Hill from 2000 through 2010. He was also in the television series The Fix in 2019. He's also in a post-production television series, and that is Star Wars Detours. Is really interesting all right nathaniel marston plays the role of trey he's one of the three dudes in the film i uh, believe it or not this is his or his oh, film debut robot chicken as well yeah he's in all that shit man a lot of them been are going on for 14 years now, i think so. ulrich has been in it i'm sure Faruza and nev and a couple others mm-hmm. probably lent their voices all right so nathaniel you might recognize him if you like daytime soap operas because he was in as the world turns from 98 through 2000 he was also in One Life to Live from 92 through 2007. And more recently, he was in the film Walk a Mile in My Pradas. It's like, uh, I think I'll pass. All right. The next actor I have is Cliff DeYoung. He plays the role of Mr. Bailey, which is Robin Tunney's uh, father in the film. He's been in such films as Shock Treatment. You might have seen him in the film The Hunger. Wait, shock Treatment, like the sequel to Rocky Horror Shock Treatment? I think so. <laughs> yep. You might have also seen him in the film FX. He was in the film Flight of the Navigator, which I've seen numerous times. He was also in the film Glory. You might have seen him in Dr. Giggles. He was also in the film The Substitute and the film Suicide Kings. Hmm. Yeah, the next actress I have is Assumpta Serna. She plays the role of Illyrio. You might have seen her in the films Wild Orchid. She was also in the film Nostradamus. She was also in the films Matador and The Network of Freedom. All right. Our next actress is Helen Shaver. She plays the role of Grace Downs, which is Nancy's mother in the film. You might have seen her in the original Amityville Horror from 1979. She was in the film Desert Hearts. She was also in The Land Before Time. She's Little Fit's mother. Yeah, which is fucking funny because we had Littlefoot on last week. Mm-hmm. She was also in the film or Zebrahead. One of the, one of the little feet. Yeah, he was like in one of the continuations. Later, yeah. yeah. She was also in the film Tremors Part 2. You might have seen her in the Poltergeist, the legacy television series from 96 through 1999. I've got two more actors, and that rounds out our cast. I have Brenda Strong. She plays the role of the Doctor to Nev Campbell's character. She was in the film Spaceballs. Highly She's recommend that one. Troopers. Yeah, she is in Twin Peaks television series back in 1991. She was also part of Party of Five in 1996. You might have seen her in Seventh Heaven because she was in it from 2000 through 2002. She was one of the party guests, like the dinner party guest, in the film Red Dragon. She was in Desperate Housewives from 2004 through 2012. And more recently, she was in Fear, The Walking Dead in 2016 and 17, and the show Supergirl from 2016 through 2019. She's Lillian Luther, which I was just like, oh, that's awesome. I watched Supergirl, and I'm going to be watching the new episode tonight because it came out last night so if you blink your eye you will miss this guy and that guy is william newman he plays the street preacher in this film and i was like why did they give him a credit because he's barely in this film but when i started seeing his roles i was like oh that's probably why but if you've ever seen the film the postman always rings twice he was in that he was also in a stephen king adapted film and that was silver bullet he was in the film The Mosquito Coast, which I highly recommend. It's a great film. River Phoenix. 
Harrison Ford, like I said, really good film. We've actually talked to him on before because he was in The Serpent and the Rainbow. Oh, right. Okay. He was also in, in the film Monkey Shines. He was in the film Leprechaun, Mrs. Doubtfire, and For Love of the Game. There's one other actor. He's in it just real briefly, but I thought it was worth mentioning because we've actually talked about it before. It's kind of funny because he was also in Tremors, and he's the bus driver in this film, and I'm talking about Tony Gennaro. So he's the other actor, I would say. If you've seen Tremors, you probably recognize him. All right, so aside from that, that's our cast and crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. There are a few warnings we should give you. Oh, shit. Not Uh, very many, though, I will say that. No, so part of this movie is that they were going for a PG-13. It is rated R. Which is weird, thinking about it now. But the reason they were given that it was rated R was basically because it has to do with teenagers and the occult. Yeah, Being taken so seriously. Even though they're like, yeah, but all the actresses aren't even teenagers. No, she was no, it was not um, Robin Tunney, um, Rachel True. She Rachel was True 30. was almost thirty. Yeah, in she still movie. looked hot as hell. But I know what you're saying. And they were like, really? <sighs> so they ended up giving it an R, but they kept to everything PG thirteen, PG thirteen, including the one fuck. I know. So there is some language, sexual there, themes, witchcraft, yeah, that sort of thing. But it's all PG thirteen. Yeah, a little bit of language, not very much. And like 90s PG-13, which was held back a little bit more from where PG-13, I think, is these days even. I agree. I totally agree. Which is weird, but we'll get into that in the next section. It's very, very tame in comparison to a lot of films that we typically discuss, but it's got some really cool themes that it does tackle that's a little bit more adult-oriented. It's cool. So let's get into talking about it, because it's awesome. (laughs) How does that make you squeal? All right, we're in it. Let's get into the craft. I'm going to start this off by saying real quick, I thought I hadn't watched this movie that many times until I started watching it, and a shit ton of memories came flooding back, and I'm thinking I must have watched this movie at least eight or nine times in the 90s. I remembered, like, everything about Robin Tunney because I had the biggest fucking crush on her in this movie. Cutie pie. No (laughs) kidding, dude, right? Yeah, this is one I have a little bit of history, too. I know we talked a little bit beforehand, but... Yeah, during that time period, 96, like I said, all the way through the late 90s, was uh, my high school years. So I remember when this film came out, didn't get to see it because you and I have talked about the fact that it is rated R and it's, you know, you're 14, 15 years old. You're not getting in unless your parents either with you, lame, or mm-hmm. if you have older friends. So it's one I didn't catch in the theaters. It didn't hit me until probably like 97, 98 is when I started watching it because... I have an older sister. Well, it's I was in high school, ask, so like, yeah. You have sisters. Like, does that influence how many times you watched this? Because it does and it doesn't, and I'll explain. Because <laughs> when you have a big family, if you have your own interests and other people have their interests, I don't know how it is for you, but for us, we were kind of haters. <laughs> so it's like, oh man, your shit sucks. <laughs> Weak sauce. <laughs> so that's kind of how I felt about certain things back then. This not being one of them though, because. This was a film that I had watched a bunch in the 90s, but I hadn't watched a lot since that time period. So there was a lot that I did forget. There was, of course, things I'd remembered. The stupid things that I remembered, I was really surprised at the shit that I forgot. Likewise. Like, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but the one thing that I had forgotten that pertains to my very first note on the movie is, fuck yeah, 90s soundtrack. Dude, all right. That is funny you say that. Not really, but the 90s soundtracks... 
just the nineties in general had some really early good early nineties alt rock soundtrack. Yeah, some, dude. Like, what opens on some Our Lady Peace. All right, that's my first note. Actually, is that actually my first note is them chanting. Oh right, okay. Which is they say this is the oh, hour. Ours is the magic. That's ours like is a the half power. a weed that they throw down, right? Uh, yeah, you would think. That's like a half, right? <laughs> yeah, no, we we send each other like gifs and memes and stuff. Yeah, I would think so. It, it, even the mom makes mention of it sometime in the film. So yeah, which is fucking. I mean, I'm down to smoke a pound, but are they going through all of that at that one ceremony? Ooh, maybe. I'm <laughs> hanging out with the wrong chicks. But you're right. One of my first notes is during the title sequence, you get Our Lady Peace's cover of the Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows. No, speaking of my sister, she and I both got to see Our Lady Peace in 2002 in Atlanta and got to meet Rain Mata, the lead singer, and their lead guitarist at the time, Mike Turner. So I have a little bit of history with that band. Nice. Yeah, and I was like, it's really neat because if you are not a fan, if you're familiar with Our Lady Peace... This song came out before the album Clumsy came out in 97, which had like Superman's Dead and 4AM and a bunch of hits. So this was actually before Our Lady Peace got big. Right, they had an right. album before that, but it wasn't really big unless you were a Canadian. The weird thing is for me in this movie, I love a lot of 90s alt-rock, but my specialty in 90s alt-rock, due to my age range, is more like from when this movie <laughs> came out on yeah it makes sense because however i still write like i'm just like oh shit okay i know this and not only that but i know the sound like yeah it doesn't change that much over the next two years to the shit that i was listening to really there is a bit of like a soundtrack to your life and for Mm -hmm. me a lot of this stuff was the soundtrack to my high school years and there's still shit like oh fuck that's some sponge and yeah space hog and all mm -hmm. kinds of cool bands elastica so you're right it has a killer soundtrack and then of course, the first thing that you get is the introduction to Robin Tunney's character. Because you mentioned, too, it's like it's a new girl who goes to this Catholic high school. There's things that come along with that. St. Benedict's in the movie, St. Bernard's in the trailer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So a lot of this stuff, too, was styled after the fact that, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was Andrew Fleming who went to schools and had friends like this that were very similar. So he incorporated that into some of the film. Ooh, speaking about shit incorporated in the film, before we get too far into it, they've already performed like one ceremony technically. Yeah. This movie famous for actually like really taking the time to research Wicca and then just disregarding everything that they needed to actually make the movie interesting. You know, that's one thing that you're absolutely right about. I think there's reasons too is knowing some of the stuff that I watched, they said they didn't want to make it too realistic to have like girls of that age to copycat those kind of activities so they had to fictionalize a lot of that stuff i know that i read in some of my research that they're like yeah they made up manon yeah to not offend real wiccans like we're not gonna throw you in with these girls because we're going to intentionally fuck some shit up because otherwise this is going to be a really boring movie if what they're doing is just pure wicca yeah for sure for sure so you have to keep a little bit of that in mind because it is hollywood and to dispel some myths, and to dispel some myths, Feruza Bulk, not a Wiccan. Yeah, I've read that too. She for probably was just interested years, in, right. in some of the concepts. Well, I, I read the story, and it was for years and years, it was reported that she was a Wiccan. Because in some of the supporting materials in the original DVD release, one of the producers mentioned it. The real story is while she was doing research for this role she kept going to this occult shop became friends with the owners 
found out that they pretty much didn't have the money to keep it open and that they were going to be bought out and it was going to be turned into a Chinese restaurant. And she's like, well, that doesn't seem right. Like, I'm really kind of digging this stuff, even if I don't follow it myself. And these people are super nice. And it's just not right for one of the oldest occult shops in the United States to be going under. So she bought it and she kept it open herself. Yeah, I actually wrote a lot of that stuff down. It was really cool. And because of that, she kind of was a really good resource for when they were doing research, because they did research this movie a lot. No, they, they just... did. <laughs> Even the writer, Peter Filardi, he mentioned the fact, too, that like, for his story that he sent to the studio, right, it was more or less about, I think, an outcast satanic person, right? But a lot of his research had to do with witchcraft and Wiccanism and things of that nature, right? So there was already an interest in that in this film, like so with Perusa Balk, with our writer, with our director, writing it more of an like an outcast film, you know, mm-hmm. centered around you know witches essentially. Yeah, they did their research, is what I'm getting at, right? They also brought in a consultant who was like this high priestess of a Wiccan church, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, a couple of different factions, but yeah, they even brought her in to consult just to make sure that. They were following certain things that would make more sense. Of course, they had to fictionalize a lot of the stuff he mentioned earlier, but still, they try to keep true to a certain sense of not try to spoof what witchery meant or what Wiccanism right. meant. I wish I knew more so I could like spot that accurate window dressing, you know, that's scattered on all the inaccurate bits a little bit better, but it does feel good to know that they were at least thinking about being like, no, some people are actually like all about this and we don't want to really piss them off. Well, yeah, I mean, it's smart. You don't want to tick off a certain community you know especially when you're dealing with a particular subject like this and i think just a lot of films don't go to that length no matter their subject matter but especially when it's about shit like witchcraft and precisely we've probably seen an uptick in it in recent years but that's true i think historically speaking it's more just been like crazy woman that can do magic throwing curses around and shit yeah you're absolutely right dude all right so the film in itself one of the first signs, of course, and one of the weirdest things, too, that doesn't really get explained a lot in this film is when Rubman Tunney's character, Sarah, they first arrive to the new home, and she comes back downstairs after taking the picture of her mom out, and there's the dude, the vagrant, the vagabond with the snake. He's like, you know, calm down, girl, just relax. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, who are you? And then later on when he shows up again, he's the one who talks about having dreamt about her, and in his dream she's dead, and then gets... Hit by a car. connected to the man. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, they don't really flesh that out a lot, but that's one of the first introductions you get. It's like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I mean, with the snakes, it's, I mean, obviously we know foreshadowing it's symbolic, yeah. to later on. It just seems like kind of clumsy foreshadowing, to be honest. I kind of don't like either of those scenes. I'm like, these kind of... Well, that's one of my first notes, too. It's like, that felt a little weird at the beginning. But then, of course, it takes off with... Her coming to school, there's a French class, you get the introduction to a couple of our main characters. I wish I knew French. I took French, but I didn't know anything he was... Well, there was vague things he was talking about. Of course, he was talking to... Breckenmeyer. Yeah, Breckenmeyer, right? He's talking to his character and asking him how his weekend was. And they're conversing, of course, and they're asking, you know, about women. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Nev Campbell is fluent in French, so she knew everything that was going on. And then Robin Tunney's the one who retorts and i didn't know anything what they were talking about i just assumed certain things but you're right i wish i knew more well and it seemed like the teacher just kept going along with it when 
he was like, are you asking if I got laid? And I'm like, is this an appropriate conversation? Yeah, in high school. But like, he just kept going with it. And I'm like, maybe he's just happy he's trying to speak French. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, if this is the way I get my students to speak in French, so be it, right? So that's uh, one of the first things. But the things that Robin Tunney does, our characters, spin the pencil, yeah. you know? That's the first sign. Which Okay. They never make it explicitly clear in the final draft of the movie. But it's pretty well documented that in an early draft, the original three, not Rob and Tony, don't have any magic. And anything they do throughout the movie is because they're leeching off of Robin. I read that as well, yeah. So shouldn't they be way more freaked out that they're actually seeing shit happen? You would think, right? But they kept their shit together. (laughs) Because my first time through the movie, not knowing that, not having done that research, I just assumed that they also did, like, light magic on the reg. They probably, like, went through certain rituals, but nothing really probably came of it. Yeah, it was more just they were doing rituals and and believed. Exactly. But whether or not things happened, we don't know for sure. But it's, it's pretty much implied because the difference between the three girls is that Sarah's character is a natural witch. Right. Her power comes from within. Exactly. There's a huge difference in all that. So yeah, it would make sense that they're leeching off and things are happening. And she doesn't know what she's doing. No. She's a completely natural witch. She's just doing this shit by pure instinct. And yeah, it's sort she of explains. Like affecting the world around her. She explains some of the things that happens, like when she wishes for certain things, what happens. Which I will say, as an aside, makes me wish for a movie where she was just tutored by the shopkeeper lady just to see how crazy powerful of a witch she could become. That would have been really interesting because it's also implied that that witch was a natural witch. Yeah. Or at least knew enough of her shit that she could perform magic even without having oh, a natural she had the witch setup. around to fucking <laughs> to leech off of. You yeah. know what I mean? If she was not a natural witch, she's a witch that knows how to control the power from without rather than just being parasites like the other three basically yeah yeah, precisely another note that i have which is music derivative i have a feeling i'm going to end up sounding at times like i hate this movie i actually really stupidly enjoyed watching this movie i really enjoy this film too like i'm really going to nerd out about this but one of the second songs that came on is uh how soon is now there's some controversy with that the love spit love cover right which is based of course off the smith's and I think I've mentioned before that I've seen Johnny Marr and Morrissey on separate occasions. So I'm very familiar with this. But I don't know if you read this or not. The director, Andrew Fleming, said that he wrote a pilot for Fox. But what it was supposed to be about is a spinoff of this film. And he wanted to use How Soon Is Now as the theme song. And then Charmed came out and used the song as the theme. And has acknowledged this movie as being one of the influences for it. Right. And this is their words, not mine, so don't. I'm just the messenger. But Tunney and Fleming both have said, yeah, it's pretty much a ripoff. Charmed, that is. Because she's even been, like, approached by fans thinking that she was in Charmed. Right. (laughs) Because of the craft. And because of of the theme song. Speaking of ripoffs, <laughs> did you ever watch The Covenant? I don't know if I did or not. I can't. I can't remember. It's basically the boy version of this. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I read about that too. Yeah, it's I never not did. Good. Yeah, I think Although I remember. When it came out, it was breathtaking because of some of the special effects that were happening. Well, for the time, it. I can imagine. Yeah, 
because that's the one I'm sure you actually remember the trailer where the boy's like speeding in a fucking car going through the woods and shit and is about to run into a car and fucking like explodes it oh, out into yeah, a bunch of little yeah, pieces yeah. and then it comes together again on yeah, the other side. Yeah, for sure. That was the covenant. <laughs> How was Guess the film? what scene that that was inspired by? Just think about it. Oh, the red light scene in this? Right. Okay. No, it's basically this movie except with boy witches. That's funny. <laughs> There's differences and it is right. not as good as this movie even though it was made 16 years later with all these times to think of ways to include. I did like, see I think it was improve. on Wiki that they talked about that like that film is basically the male version of the craft. Yeah, except terrible. Well. They there tried. is a how did this get made up so bad. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I'd watch it, though. Well, I will say it's entertaining, because it's on How Did This Game. It's so bad, it's good. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to do that. Anyway. Yeah, so that's it. How soon is now? How soon is now? Like I said, Weird Connection. Of course, this was a cover by the band. Recorded for this movie. Right. And then used as the Charmed theme. Yeah, which, you know, I know you're a fan. I watched Charmed. You know, we're all guilty, whatever. It was a good show. I fucking dug Charmed. Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I, I mean to check out the new Charmed with Latinas. Oh, yeah. 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 Let's see how that goes. <laughs> see? <laughs> All right. The next note in my notes I, I represent. <laughs> is that there's a really interesting connection. We talked about the fact that Robin Tunney was in Empire Records, and for that role, she shaved her head. And because she was in this film, her hair was still short, so they put a wig on her. Initially, she wanted to play the role of Bonnie, which Nev Campbell plays. She just saw herself as like a character actor, never really thinking about being in a lead. And so, yeah, the director pushed her for playing the lead, yeah, and she like, does. Hey, now you're going to do this instead. Yeah. We're going to throw Nev down there. Which, you know, I think it was, as far as the cast go, I think everybody was cast well in this film. Except for maybe one person, which he did a good job, but uh, it, sometimes it felt flat to me, and that was for Skeet Ulrich. Like, he's a good actor, oh, but he yeah. felt a little flat in this film. So one of my notes is actually just that, like, Skeet, I don't think it's all him intentionally doing this. That's what I'm this, getting. It's not intentional, but... But just down to even his facial features, he seems like he's always trying to be Johnny Depp and cry to baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. That's funny. To the point where it's distracting to me. I'm like, all right, baby Johnny Depp. <laughs> okay, baby Johnny Depp. Yeah, I'm good, baby cry Johnny baby. Depp. Go be a crybaby somewhere else, Johnny Depp. That's so funny, dude. You ain't no king crybaby. You're Prince Crybaby at best. <laughs> He's a good actor. It's just, I don't know. It's it's quite a difference in watching this film and his character and then watching Scream, right? It felt like two different performances. Oh, yeah. Definitely He's Scream much is better. better in Scream. Even in that, I'm like... i think we mentioned that too when we reviewed it so it makes sense so that was one of my notes but tunny coincidence i guess if you want to call it that is that in both films of course she's pretty much got a shaved head just wearing a wig in this one but her scars right in this film she does it the right way oh shit in empire records it's the other way that's right yeah that's fucked up right but one of my notes about this movie especially when i was going through it the first time i was just when I watched it last night, it was the first time I've seen this movie in easily over a decade. Like I said, I'd forgotten most of it until I, <laughs> like shit started coming back. And I'm like, oh yeah, Rob Antonio has a really cute smile coming up. <laughs> but I was just like, 
how fucking cool of it is this movie that they don't have these girls immediately make her an other of some sort and sort of distance themselves when they find out how she got the scars. They just establish it as something that happened in her life yeah. and then they go on about her day. Punk rock, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, I was like, wow, this is actually really, other than Nev's comment, which is more risky than anything, but had the intended effect of being more endearing to her. Yeah. Being like, oh yeah, we can just joke around like we're friends. Cool. Then we're exactly. good to go. She's like a seer of sorts. Mm-hmm. Which is neat. So we've brought up Nev a couple times now. One of my notes, even early on in the movie, is I realize the way she acts about it and the way she feels about it probably has a lot to do with it. But as a high school guy, how much do those scars matter when otherwise the chick looks like Nev Campbell? Uh, yeah, as I was thinking, it's like, all right, <laughs> this is funny. It's like they try to make it look like she's got Freddy Krueger scars, <laughs> right? But then it's like, well, it's like that's not really the purpose. It's like she is a fox, yeah, hands down. Even with fucking 500 layers on. It's yeah. like, no, that's Nev Campbell that's right there. Yeah. You're not hiding that by any means. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's like, she's such a pretty girl. It's like, it doesn't really matter, like, the amount of scars that you see because it's always hidden anyway. I mean, and I know the, the reason she acts so bad about it. What I don't understand is, like, why the other, like, the guys are acting that, like, she's fucking Quasimodo. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's LA like, and they have standards, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Different level down there. I'm going to get this complaint out of the way early on because right. it's another thing that I noticed very early in this movie. And then I can go on to like praising this movie a little <laughs> bit, maybe. One thing I kind of don't like about this movie is that the only scenes we see are cut very explicitly to only what we need to deal with for the plot. And don't entrench these characters in any way in the world around them. No, no, it's not. They right. very much almost in this whole movie exist in their own world. You don't get anything. You you could have three <laughs> extra seconds when Robin Tunney goes to school for the first time and she doesn't have her fucking uniform yet where a teacher stops her and asks her what she's doing and it just entrenches her in the world more. Right, just little subtle things to make her feel more... Almost, what other, she kind of is yeah other than the like montage to see the bad things in their lives you get like no interactions with family you know what <laughs> i mean like the only person who does yeah. is feruza balk's character with her mom yeah that's about it like nev campbell's a little bit because of her going to the doctor and the one of the parties the sleepovers they have right that's about it yeah the only <laughs> almost the only things you see exclusively have to do with only 100% the plot. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, it's clever if you think about it in that kind of fashion, you know? You're right, because the high school moments are just really brief. It just gives you an idea, of like, yeah, they are in school, but that's not the focus of this film. It's them together, and you know? I think, I mean, if they felt at all connected to the world, I think I would care for them more. And it's not that I don't care for them. There's actually some moments in the movie I find very touching. Yeah. That were one that we're going to get to before too long, <laughs> I'm sure. But that would almost like put it over the edge to being like a masterpiece for me. You know what I mean? Rather right, than, right. Eh, yeah, no, this is a great movie. But but yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, it's I'm so still 90s, great. man. I'm still saying great. But, but no, no, no. There's a certain thing about films like this for certain time periods they were in 
Because I feel like same actors, same writers, same everybody else, but 10 years from that point, like in 2006 opposed to 96, they would have they could have gone there probably. Mm-hmm. It's just it's yeah, weird things with studios. Version of this movie. Yeah, I'll take. Oh, this is an hour forty. I'll take two and a half hours, three yeah. hours, and just entrench them in the world a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. It could have used some fleshing out for sure. Because they should be more connected to the world, right? Like that's part of Wicca, right? I don't know anything I'm fucking talking about. <laughs> but no, no, I, I would feel like you would you would be because of the interactions you have every day. Mm-hmm. You know. Where it's just a quick glimpse into some of these things. Like the interactions aren't very heavy. It's just them in their own little circle. And I get that they kind of only have just their circle because they've all been ostracized for whatever reasons. Nev, because apparently she's Quasimodo. <laughs> yeah. uh, Feruza Balk, because she walks around looking like Feruza Balk. Right. And then Rachel True because she's the she's only, only black person, only black person in the Catholic school that they're in, and it gets it's pointed out. The only one in town, right? <laughs> Apparently, damn nineties. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. So while we're on that, that's one of the parts that I can't believe that I fucking forgot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, because as soon as it happens, you're like, oh damn, it! I, whoa, Wait, so the, it yeah. went there. <laughs> so last night I'm sitting there. And he gets to the scene, and Christine Taylor had just been shitty to Rachel True. Rochelle, right? Yeah, Rochelle. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So whatever this next interaction with them, because, you know, the scene changes, and I'm like, they're about to interact again. It's going to be shitty, because they're establishing Christine Taylor as, like, the shit part of her life, right? I'm like, okay, so so how are they <laughs> going to do that? And she's like, comparing her hair to pubic hair. I'm like, holy shit, wait, what? <laughs> And then, 30 seconds later, maybe it's because I just don't like Negroids. I know, like, whoa. And my jaw hit the fucking floor. (laughs) And that is something, too, like, if you haven't seen it recently, that will slip by for whatever reasons. But I was thinking the same thing. I was like, god damn, that was heavy. How did I forget that shit? (laughs) Wow, that's something you probably wouldn't hear today. I mean, for the time period, I'm not making that as an excuse, but that's a real thing. So, as I was looking around, trying to find information on this movie, you also invariably run into other people's opinions and reviews on the movie as well and shit. And it seemed like there's a lot of people that sort of rag on that bit in the movie because they bring her up as a hard racist and then never go into the racism. Because, like I already pointed out, they only talk about things in this movie that 100% pertain to the plot of this movie. Exactly. And she was only changed to being racist when Rachel True was cast. Because before they were, you know, like all roles in Hollywood are assumed to just going to be to white actors. Yeah, um, I think her character was written out as a white character. It was, she was just supposed to be a picked on outcast. Right. And then when Rachel True is cast, they're like, oh, well, we should add a racial element to it because we wrote the rest of this movie to be all white people, so now she's the only black person in this entire town. Yeah, good point. (laughs) And I think it's absolutely proper for them to make the character at least casually racist to be her enemy, but I do think that the film disserviced a little bit by making her such a hard fucking racist and then then just not going there. Yeah, it was like 1950s racist right there. (laughs) Like, whoa, damn. I think if you would have left, like, the pubic hair line 
Like that. Yeah, that, 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 that would establish it. it already. Yeah, that establishes it. If you want to have a follow up, you don't have to go Negroid. <laughs> you don't. You could have been like, oh, well, you know, why do you hate me so much? You could have just had her say something like, well, look at you and look at me. Right. And that leaves it open, but there's still an implication there. Yeah. You could have been more subtle. <laughs> That's what we're saying. I was very explicit. But if you're not going to go there, if you're not going to take the time in the movie to go there, then why do that? Especially when the rest of your movie's already white people. <laughs> not excusing the time period, but that's something that you threw out there. You know, I mean, I mean, it lands. You get the point. You get it. You get right? it. Right. But I was like, that was not expected either. It's like, whoa. You know it's there. It's been established. And then there's really no resolve either. Like, there's implications that possibly she feels sorry. But it's right. only because of, you know. That rant aside... We did just sort of go over the, the bum getting hit a little bit, and I wanted to point out how so fucking surprising it was to see his head going to that fucking tire. <laughs> I was like, that might have been one of the best bits in the whole film. Holy shit. It's like, yeah, like, like he really died on set. <laughs> that stuntman just died on camera. <laughs> oh. And then you get the date with Chris, and yeah. I was like, okay, we know how Chris turns out in the end. Well... We know how he turns out the next day. But before that happens, I'm just like, dude's even asking permission for a kiss? How fucking progressive is this movie for 1996? Like, goddamn. Hashtag not me too. Like, but then the next day he's fucking douche nozzle. Super so. douche, yeah. And so that's then like, I'm like, oh, never mind, douche nozzle. Such a quick turn, right? Maybe not the quickest turn in this movie, but we'll get there. <laughs> I think I know where you're getting at. I do want to go back a little bit. Oh, shit. No, maybe maybe it's the third quickest turn in this movie, because now I think I know what you're referencing. (laughs) Well, all right. So one thing I do want to skip back to, just for a brief moment, because you've already mentioned it, was the the cult shop. So I looked it up. Like, the place that they actually filmed at is in Los Angeles. It's in Hollywood. But the name of the place is El Adobe Studio Building. And... The actual occult shop is the one that you mentioned that Feruza had bought, and that was called the Pan Pipes Magical Market, and that's in uh, Los Angeles. Is that still going? Does she still have that going? So she owned it from 1995, and she ran it all the way to 2001. So she sold it to two people, Jimmy Darling and Vicki Adams. And when she bought the property, she brought them in as managers. So she sold them to people who she knew she could trust. And so, okay, that's And from what I understand is, correct me if I'm wrong, whoever, but I believe they're still running it or operating it, those two. She knew they was going to be in good hands. Oh, and did you see what Rachel True's up to these days? I haven't. She's a tarot card reader. Really? Yeah, in like San Francisco. Damn, she's getting her, like, Dionne Warwick on. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Miss Cleo. (laughs) But I'm like, how the fuck does... That happen. From the craft? (laughs) I know, Mary Jane. That makes sense. <laughs> All right, I'm down, whatever. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. But I think that's some really cool, interesting history there, too, you'd mentioned. Is like... So, yeah, going up beyond the, the whole racist Christine yeah, Taylor. Light, yeah, you light the wick. <laughs> what I thought was, you know, was neat, once you start getting it more into the storyline, like when they finally get together and they drink out of the cup and they all put like a certain thing they want, a certain ability or a certain desire... And each one of them kind of plays out what they're looking for. It's like, okay, it kind of sets up more 
of the story. But then the next thing they do is they have the sleepover. And I was going to ask you, have you ever played light as a feather, stiff as a board? Oh, I did. I have a number of times and it never fucking worked. <laughs> there was times where because people were light, you could kind of fudge a little bit, if you, you know, mm-hmm. but never to the point where you could let go and they would levitate. Yeah, no, of course not that. But I would like, we never even got people up easily. It was <laughs> always like, nope. I mean, it's a struggle. You're going to cheat. <laughs> so there's that but yeah i mean you're supposed to with like two fingers Mm -hmm. hold them up yeah (laughs) yep i did okay so my complaint from earlier about things in this movie 100 percent pertaining to the plot is broken in one little scene that i found very endearing and i wish there was more of in this movie and then when they were heading out to do the fucking ritual the fucking scene on the bus yeah that's really good that's way stood out to me there's a really interesting story about that bus scene. Okay. All right. Two things. First thing is when they get off the bus and the bus driver tells them okay, the line. Okay, I hated that part. But... Right, but it's an infamous scene too. Yeah. Right, I mean, it's kind of goofy. But that's the guy, Miguel, I was talking about from Tremors. Oh, right, okay. All right, so I was like, all right, cool, because I recognize him. I was like, hold on, he looks too familiar. It's like, that's why Tremors. All right, second thing is when they're making the faces at the three girls, the blondes. Mm-hmm. The producer, Douglas Wick, that's his three daughters. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Because in the interviews for the Shell Factory version, is they ask some of the people what their favorite scenes were. And he's like, yeah, I'll always remember that scene because that was my three daughters that were making the faces at. I was like, that's pretty good. Because that was a good scene. I like that. There was actually a little bit of interaction with the outside world, you know, yeah. uh, just on a, a basic level. It's not just their coven. Right, the coven. <laughs> but then they go off to do some interesting things, like I said. Uh, one of the my favorite lines in the film is when Rachel True finally realizes she's levitating, she falls. The mom comes in the room, and she asks them, are you girls getting high? <laughs> I was like, well, if I was a girl back then, probably, yeah. Oh, uh, I do want to point out that during that scene... Nev Campbell's arms are completely bare. Right, and yeah. She doesn't have any scars. There's a couple times it happens. And well, right after that scene is when it goes into like the fucking girl gang montage, <laughs> as yeah. I wrote down. And she's all glammed out in that montage too. Yeah. But this is before her procedure is actually done. Speaking of procedure, I'm going to back it up for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Not invasive, but there's going to be pain. But there's going to be. I'll, fucking ton okay so i'm looking at the machine they have rigged up there and how clumsily the doctor seems to be wielding it and i'm looking at the way the machine works and i'm like shouldn't you motherfuckers just like hire a tattoo artist basically it's basically just a tattoo needle except thicker from what i could see of that needle you know what i mean right i've I've gotten a few tattoos i've looked at tattoo needles it looked thicker than your average tattoo needle to my eyes and which is probably why it probably did hurt like a motherfucker (laughs) i don't entirely discount her scream yeah but i'm like are you really gonna do that whole area with that fucking (laughs) machine because you don't seem to be going very accurate, especially considering like the curves that are going to be along oh, her man. back. Like, That's I was like, man, they're running on Windows ninety eight right now. <laughs> just hire a fucking tattoo artist. Yeah, that's Windows ninety five technology. 
But then, <laughs> like you said, okay, so they did everything before they go into the girl gang montage and like their, yeah. their magic's good to go and all that shit for the most part. How much does it seem to you that the rule of three actually holds up in this movie? I know it tries to pretend to the rule of threes, I think within the Coven, but uh, to what extent, I, you know, uh, you could argue, I suppose. I don't have a, a strong opinion. Because, like, Nev's whole thing, when, when she put out her wish, it was to be as beautiful inside and out, and things should come back to her threefold, and she's allowed to turn into a really shitty person and only gets threatened with it ever coming back. But it never comes back to her like it's supposed to. No. And probably because it was, like, a true intention, I suppose. It's just the threefold is she becomes a narcissist. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, her scars don't come back. I think you could argue Rachel True's because hers sort of had to be re-upped. <laughs> yeah. With uh, the hair snatch. She got her. <laughs> There's a deleted scene, though, where Nev got re-upped, too, and that's why hers worked, right? So, I mean, I don't know, because then you could argue that that got interrupted, too, I guess. So Yeah. But, I mean, it's that just... Maybe that original one didn't work, but then we see fruza balk do shit before they do the big invocation so there was even an older witch that was supposed to be in this film they said that there was a lady they put in makeup who at the time she was 50 and they age progressed her to look like she was 90 so they were pretty happy with it and she had a story to go along with was it lero oh yeah yeah and they had to cut it so you're like uh just unfortunately one of those things that got cut but going right out of the girl gang segment, the fucking men don't take my scars was so fucking heartbreaking. Like, yeah. Nev sold that fucking performance in that scene. I was like, and even like Fruza just like oh, stops so behind. Was, yeah. And like, I was like, ah, oh. but then she just turns into a total bitch. Yeah. <laughs> really hot, stupid. I mean, yeah. Anyway, there was a funny line I, I wrote down too because I was like, man, I don't even know if I remember this scene. Going into the part where she's walking into the classroom, you know, strutting her stuff, mm-hmm. is Reckon Meyer and that dude, Nathaniel Marston. Mm-hmm. They're having a conversation about jacking off. The guy's like, Harry Palms? <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. You're going to go blind if you keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. All right, uh-huh. so the next big thing that actually happens in this film. Wait, how long does $175,000 actually last with that fucking apartment? Okay, that's what I was going to get at. Was the next big thing that happens in the film is Feruza Balk makes her, I, I don't even stepdad. know if it's her stepdad. I just put her, her mom's boyfriend, right? She gives him a heart attack or she invokes it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And out of that, the result is that the guy, what they write down is uh, Mr. Saunders was his name, apparently, was that he left Dick Nancy Watt. and her mom $175,000 in insurance. You're right. And they were like, that's big money for them. But I was thinking, that's funny because for Feruza Balk, it's probably like, jump change. <laughs> but anyway, they wind up do getting a new apartment. And that's when the mom shows off her Connie Francis jukebox <laughs> and all that stuff. And That was, okay, so that was another exception of my rule. Like that little bit with the mom was kind of cool. That was actually nice. Like I like that. She, I think the mom actually did pretty decent in mm-hmm. the film, right, for her part. But the next thing that they kind of get into is the glamouring. And that becomes big throughout the rest of the film. Uh, 
The glamoring scene, I said, definitely dates this movie as being pre-J-Lo being the biggest thing in the world because Feruza Balk wants a smaller ass. That's so funny, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, that, unless you have like a really, really big badonkadonk. You know, Feruza Balk, she's, she's a bit she of a tiny girl. She begin with. She's a tiny girl. Right? She barely got meat. Like, she's kind of a walking skeleton. <laughs> right. But it's like, yeah, that's kind of funny that she would be the one to say that. But, yeah, no. Uh-uh. I'm like, this dates the movie, though. This is pre-J-Lo being the biggest thing on fucking Earth for, like, that's Yeah, it's, years. like, right on the cusp of it. No, I mean, mm-hmm. no puns intended. But that's another thing that really shows its date, even though it, it's done well, is the glamour itself when uh, Sarah, Robin Tunney, changes her hair color. Ra- I was like, yeah, that's like one of those scenes that it's pretty much sticks with and you. It's super dated in the way it yeah, looks. Yeah, because the effects guys, a lot of them worked on films that were just practical effects. Mm. So this was like on that swing when digital started to really play a part in film. And they said a lot of these guys were just kind of like learning on the fly because most of them had their hands, of course, in practical. Yeah, I couldn't do any better. Well... Honestly, nowadays there's probably an app for that, but... But, I mean, given the time period, 96... Yeah, yeah 96... I mean, nah. for those who grew up in that time period, you know the shit they had to work with. Not as advanced as what we got now. I mean, just plain and simple. And learning on the go, I didn't know that much of it either. Like, that's Yeah, I think they did a good pretty good them. job, because they even talked about the scenes where they had to, like, do the snake fingers for Feruza Balk later on in the film... They said that I, was something I that... I almost wrote down that that's almost as bad as the fucking spider crab. Right. But that's the thing. It's like, that was... It looks bad now. But for the time period, it's like, okay, you know, you kind of get what they're getting at. And here's the thing. The the blonde looked weird. Her shaking it out was dope. Yeah. That was good. That was cool. It was like, ooh, the blonde looks bad. But when she shakes it out, it's like, that's... Like, yeah, you're right. It looks good. That was cool. That was cool. <laughs> you made up for it. Like, plus one, minus one. And it equals it out. I also I put a big just like nod back to the to the soundtrack while they're actually going out to do the invocation. Oh, that's such a good song. Because I'm like, oh, Matthew Sweet, and shout out to Jesse, who I know digs him some Matthew Sweet. Dark Secret. I actually listen to that song a few times a day because like, man, that song is really fucking good, dude. That like kind of epitomizes some of that '90s vibe. Jesse, you better be listening to this episode. Fuck, I just shouted you out. Yeah, and it's not his poppy song girlfriend no and it's not oh fuck what dinosaur fuck it's two words dinosaur something first song on his fourth album altered beast yeah (laughs) the fucking invocation i couldn't i fucking busted out laughing so hard the hear me us Us, hear us (laughs) that is funny that is funny because she's caught up in the moment because she wants that power for herself but yeah they correct her really quick <laughs> that is funny that also especially uh, the second time through i'm like shouldn't they be like pulling each other aside afterwards being like what was that what kind of shit she on and I won't, what was that shit what the fuck was that come on nancy <laughs> although of course afterwards considering it worked they i think they had a little bit more to deal with with the whole staring at the sharks all fucking beached i know all right so the first time through, I was like, man, I totally forgot about that scene. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember, forgot. I do remember when it happens, like, oh, yeah, that was like a big thing when Feruza walk, walk, walks, on, walks water. on water. I was like, okay, I do remember some of that. But then I didn't remember, like, the sharks on the beach. Well, I, what I thought was neat about the walking on water, too, was just, like, 
two minutes before when they were at the occult shop was when, uh, what's her name? Lyria mm-hmm. was saying, oh, you know, it's just like, you know, it's a simple truth that's been said across many religions and then mentions the Bible version. <laughs> and then just within a couple minutes, you have Fruza Balk walking on water. So, I mean, that's, it's clever. And not only that, but the scene where Fruza Balk is looking at the, the book and she has kind of like this prophetic vision. Mm-hmm. It's like, that was actually pretty decent, man. That was cool. I kind of um, like that. Along those lines, whenever uh, Robin Tunney's mom's picture moves, is fucking dumb. Yeah, they do a good job there. I even thought when Robin Tunney later goes back to seek help from Lyria, she... Her stepping out of the mirror is dope. That was good, but even like her stepping inside of the uh, pentagram circle, mm. it's like, you know, that you could see the energy coming off. I was like, that's that's pretty good. That's It hits the point without like overstressing it. So yeah, some of that stuff was pretty good for the time period. Even to date, it still holds water. One thing that was interesting, too, in some of the writing, even the way they kind of depicted it to drive home points, if you're not paying attention, is each one of the girls brings one of their familiars with them into that invocation. It kind of drives home the point. Here's the fucking It's like, if, yeah, if you're not paying attention. But it's still kind of neat because uh, one word I had to look up because it's like, I've never the- heard of a lovebird named this, but it's called a budgerigar. Okay. That's the bird that she brings. It's like, uh, why can't you just say lovebird? But it's like, okay, that's why she brings it. Lovebirds. And that was another point, though, where I'm like, after that ceremony, shouldn't they be pulling each other aside and being like, what the fuck is that shit? Considering it's probably not entirely improper to invoke Manon through your familiar. (laughs) But if that's the power you're going for, it's really weird for her to be calling upon the snake when you're doing this, like, go big or go home anyway. You know what I mean? Did you read any into that, the whole invocation thing that happened? Mm-mm. So, all right, this is a little side tangent. Kind of neat bit of trivia. Oh, or do you mean with the, the washing of the fucking... Right, well... Okay, the fire getting... Yeah, so Pat Devon, we had mentioned that it was the Wiccan consultant on the film. Mm-hmm. She said that the made-up character of Menon sounds a little familiar to Manon, which is like a Gaelic sea god. Right. Yeah, and so they said some weird stuff would happen. When I saw that pop up with the closed captioning on, I recognized that name. Yeah, and it's like, and oh. I was like, "What the shit? Did they just say it weird? Would they say it again?" And when they kept going, I'm like, "That's that can't be Madden." Like, yeah, they talked about the fact that you know lights would go out on the cameras, or they said their altar like got washed ashore. The tide would come in kind of high. Bats would fly overhead. Whatever you can attribute to whatever, but they said there were some. Interesting things that happened on set because of some of the things they did. But long story short, is right after the whole invocation, once you see the sharks washed, which to anybody's chagrin, they are made out of fiberglass is what the special effects oh, guy okay. said. Yeah. He said, it's kind of funny. He said a lot of them were kind of light because of the material they used. He said, you know, they were kind of burying them in the sand that morning. And people would come out to see what was going on because people were filming it. So oh, they actually yeah. thought they were dead shark. Gotcha. Yeah. It looks good. It looks believable. You couldn't really tell a difference. But anyway, the next thing that happens is the shift, the dynamic, and the, and the well, you coven. Get the, you get the car ride, which I wrote down was awkward and kind of fucked. Especially because you have all this shit happen. 
where, like I said, you should be suspicious of fucking Feruza Balk now at this point. Anyway. Yeah, wouldn't you think? Then you have the car ride happen. But at the very beginning of the car ride, like, it's definitely Robin Tunney being very weirdly confrontational. However, I think it's more in the sense, like, she's the only one seeing any sense at this point. But she's still kind of weirdly forthright for being, like, the newcomer and shit. In my I know, right? That's what kind of made it awkward for me right off. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, Dan, you're going like, in big. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, get with the other two first and then call her out. Like, instead of just calling them all out on the fucking ride home. <laughs> yeah but then like shit plays out the way it does with the red light (laughs) and they almost die i know oh that was close and from that point on the other two who at that point had been like super team fucking robin tunney are suddenly like team fb all the way ride or die bitch that's right we're gonna suddenly both that's the second quickest turn in this movie is those two just flipping on a fucking dime. They do like real quick right after the whole invocation thing. Yeah. That's what I said. There's a, that shift. In the that dynamic. took me out a little bit, to be honest. I'm like, what the fuck? Like I was starting I know, to like it was them and like, abrupt. it seemed like there was going to be this awesome. But it makes sense too, because it, you know, they start off as the three. Mm-hmm. They just wanted her to complete the circle and I guess complete the invocation, which they get. And so they remove her. And then there's a scene where you see them together, but in a different trio. And so there, there's another outsider or the loner that happens with Feruza Balk. So they show a little bit of the dynamic and shifts. But you're right. That was a really shitty turn. And I'm just like, what the fuck? All right, whatever. <laughs> and then it goes up to the other part that I'm surprised I forgot, which is the car ride with Chris. Dude. All right. So I know that's one of the major things we've been missing out on is the whole fact that Robin Tunney being the new girl in school and Skeet Ulrich already being the douchey dude that we know he is, right? It's like, she's still like... Oh, that first scene is fucking hilarious, though, with the, like, carrying my books and shit. That is funny. Holy fuck, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I they get him good. the mask. Yeah, but I thought Breckin Meyer's little throwaway line was pretty funny, too. He's like, can you hold my jocks, right? He's getting kind of heavy. <laughs> Breckenmeyer, he was kind of be, funny. Being that he's one of fucking Chris's buds, and he was kind of an asshole throughout it, I wrote him down. He might be like the most assholiest <laughs> comedic relief that I've ever been like actively rooting for. Yeah, he was good. His little sidekick wasn't bad. Yeah, even he had a sidekick. No, I fucking I really dug him, even though he was usually being an asshole douchey, yeah. or a douchey towards our main characters, like. <laughs> I usually even still dug it. Like, no, whatever. As long as he's going to be funny about it, then yeah. Tell I mean, him they, they were having want. liberties with each other. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in high school, right? All right. So, another big turn you already, I think, we're alluding to it is Chris, right? So at the beginning, there's flirtation with Sarah. Then he flips on her, right? Says she's the worst lady he's ever had. Basically, tells her, nah. It's <laughs> like, damn. But then she puts a love spell on him. And then he gets rapey in that car ride. He just wants to talk to her, go to dinner. It doesn't play out that way. It's like, how the fuck did I forget that scene? Because it's like, wow, that was quick and abrupt. But that was the thing that came threefold on her. I did have to write down, I'm like, oh, really fucked up alternate universe idea. Spin off from this scene. He's successful. And not just rapes her, but ends up killing her. And then they just find him the next day, like, hauling her corpse around. Oh, damn. That would be <laughs> fucked, wouldn't it? Which killer? That would uh, be wild. 
here's an, another weird third connection for me. Maybe there is powers of threes in this film for us. Is Portishead is played in that car ride. They play the song Glory Box. And the reason I bring them up is because when I saw Radiohead a couple of years ago, their drummer, Portishead, has been playing mm. with Radiohead as a second percussionist. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But that's, cool. that's my third connection to music in this film. I mean, personal connections. That does lead to Robin hooking back up with the girls, though. And Nancy's like, I'm going to go get his ass at the party. It doesn't yeah. fucking matter. She and you, don't, you don't know how she's actually intending to get his ass. But before all that goes down, down in the bottom of the party, you kind of mentioned it earlier, you get the last time you see Christine Taylor. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing a wig. <laughs> and she's actually like trying to be nice to Rochelle, right? Yeah. And it looks like she's maybe going to apologize. So do you think she's actually turned around? There's no way that she knows it's Rochelle. Well... There's implications that these girls are already witches. Right. So it would chance to reason that she would catch wind of it, too. Does she even think magic exists? Like... I, yeah. Well, given her racial, <laughs> her deposition, like her prejudice, right? Why would that be the first thing? She's like, well, she is a witch, so maybe she's thinking voodoo. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe. I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's no way for her to know that it was her. Yeah. So I don't think she's trying I mean, to make... They pluck her hair. Yeah, that's true. But I know what you're saying. It's like, I don't think she's saying it because she's actually sorry. She's saying it because she's fucking going bald and she has to wear a wig and stuff. And it's like, well, that's kind of fucked up, (laughs) right? She's not sincerely sorry. It just took something like this for her to realize that she's a bigoted piece of shit. But she's not really sorry. Fuck. And then the quickest change in this movie happens upstairs. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking, yeah, like you said, the glamour through the balk. God, his ass. It was good. But the thing I thought that was clever, too, I don't know if they did this intentionally or not, but if you look at what he's wearing in that scene, is he's wearing like this clown shirt and he wears, has like a clown, almost a jester hat. Okay. And I was like, well, if you're trying to do it metaphorically or symbolically, so like you could say he's playing the jester or the joker. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's the dunce. He's the fool. Yeah, exactly. And she played him. And I'm still like, why is it that Sarah, her character, still wants to hold on this dude? It's like, yeah, she put this fucked up love spell on him. Before that, he was douchey to her. You didn't actually see him, her get his pants down. Dude's got just a horse cock. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) we didn't see those bits, but possibly. (laughs) Maybe that's the part I'm missing. He's going to skeet, skeet, skeet all over. Skeet? Maybe, yeah, there's a reason, right? He ends up, yeah, defenestrated magically. I was like, I, I kind of like that too. Some of that's a little iconic when Feruza Balk, she gets in that rage fit at him and she starts to levitate. Right. And she goes across the room. I was like, that's fucking, that's good. That's kind of what you want to see with from, witches. From that point out in the movie, Feruza Balk's probably the most interesting person on screen. Oh, no doubt. She and takes it, over. As soon as, yeah, she goes crazy and it's fucking awesome. It kind of becomes her film at that point. Coming up a little bit after that, when Robin's trying to bind her. It did give me an idea. I happen to be nerdy enough to know that despite how bewitched that they were watching earlier in the movie, that, yeah. popularized it. Warlock originally was not a term for a male witch. It was a term for an oath breaker. So oh, cool. with her going against her coven, it would technically make her a warlock. And so I'm like, so let's reboot Warlock. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Julian Sands gender swapped over to... 
Robin Tunney? <laughs> Robin Tunney. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Robin Tunney, Horlock. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to make that sound like horror as much as I did. But, but no, nah, that would be awesome, though. I think that'd be a nice way of accurately portraying that, right? Historically? Yeah. That was just my weird train of thought when I'm I like, like Oathbreaker, Warlock. That sounds actually pretty cool. <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Robin Tunney, Warlock. I'm down. <laughs> All right. So we're getting really close to the end of this film. And Feruza balks her switch because she wants the power. She wants the leadership, I suppose, of the Coven. His, the girls are fucking with her, that being Sarah, in her sleep. They get to the part where there's like all these snakes in the house. And I read that they used almost 3,000 snakes and various numbers of rats and all that shit. So a lot of that was practical. I was like, well, they really went out (laughs) for that to make that stuff pay off. Does her going back to see Lyra happen before she goes to the house, right? Yeah, she goes to Lyria before she goes back to the house. And that's when the girls cast the spell that or the glamour that her dad died so that that's one of the things where I'm like, I had to write down, like, maybe I don't know as much as I think I know. But if you're getting attacked magically and you're already inside a circle, <laughs> isn't the safest place to stay is inside the circle? Well, that's the funny bit because Robin Tunney, bless that girl's heart, she runs so funny in this film when she does run. <laughs> I was like, is she doing that, like... I'm like, did they fail to teach her that, though, in Magic 101? Like, wow. isn't that where it's supposed to, like, seal the energies out? It becomes, for me, it becomes... And sealing what you're working no, in? No, yeah, that's practical. You would think that. But her running off, for me, it made it almost too comical. I was like, I know it's not supposed to be comical. What is she doing right now? <laughs> what are you doing? How much does it change it, too, if she just manages to invoke the spirit there and oh, just right there? takes them on? Oh, it'd be over because then she'd have help. You would imagine. Yeah. She doesn't get threatened with being fucking mind-raped into self-suicide. See, I think there's a lot of things that can be explored about this, which I'm going to mention here in a little while, which there's rumors. But the fact, too, that the place was built on a place of power, right? Mm -hmm. Or a source of power. It's like, that never gets explored. (laughs) Oh, right. I completely even forgot about it because it never gets explored. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's, there's actually a, a cool little side story here, a little B-plot. No wonder they went into it with Charmed. <laughs> See, yeah. So little things like that. But there was things to be explored. But it, I mean, from what I understood is that Filardi, our writer, he said he had problems with the third act. And that's where our director Fleming kind of stepped in. And he wrote okay. more for Nancy's character. He didn't want them to kind of come together and fight another entity that had nothing to do with the movie entirely. Like, they can't just go in and fight off somebody that we never really introduced (laughs) in the first place. So it had to be from within. Well, you also didn't have to give them super strength. Yeah. And start flinging shit poltergeist style around. It was crazy, man. I I would disagree with some of those choices, too. It's kind of, it, it kind of works. Kind of doesn't. I know. I, I it, thought it was weirdly at odds with the way the rest of the movie plays out. It's a movie of like tonal shifts as well. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of shifting in this film, which is okay. I mean, uh, for me, I kind of understand it. You know, for it didn't not work. No, it, Let me exactly. Put it that way. Exactly. It still works. It's just not really how you would perceive the way it plays out. Yeah, because the, and not the like ending a surprising. is no, not it's in a just, surprising way. We're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. It's more like, oh, I didn't see see that coming. I know, like this is wow. This is very. Even Patrick mentioned this, right? 
because he was like, yeah, the movie ends really kind of somberly and abruptly, and it's kind of a weird melancholic feel. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with that, because the way it does end, there is resolve, but then there's also like, well, there's still the fact that something happened with Feruza Balk, and what's going to happen with these other characters, Sarah, etc. And magic just exists, by the way. Yeah. And it seems like people can learn just to use it. <laughs> right. So, Which is, in my opinion, like, if you're going to look at the world this is set in, that almost opens up its own whole world of problems. Right. It does. <laughs> it's not just, I guess, exclusive to that area. It could be open to wherever at that mm-hmm. point. So, yeah. There's a lot to be explored. There's a lot of things I, like I said, genuinely like about this film. It's one of those films, I think, too, for the 90s, the time period it was set in, the demographic it was set for. It did have a market for that, but certainly over the years, it's grown to like this very cool cult status. I did see... Deserving. Deservingly, yeah. I've talked a lot of shit, and there's one more thing I'm going to say that's bad about this movie, but overall, I actually really enjoy this movie. I was like, yeah, man, I I do like this. It's not one that I would watch like a lot, but this is one I wouldn't be afraid to put on and still enjoy it because I know I was going to get out of it. Like, it's entertaining for sure. There's just things that could have been explored a little bit more fleshed out, but that's... That's probably more studio oversight and, you know, just a time period it was set in. They said, too, that for the time period, a lot of the films were more action derivative. Mm-hmm. Like, blockbusters were more like the Schwarzeneggers and the Stallones and things like that. So this wasn't really one that was, like, well-received by the studios. Like, it took a little finagling. I guess my last little criticism of the movie, it's kind of weird that we were watching The Shining right before all of this. Because one of Stephen King's famous complaints about the Kubrick version of The Shining is the casting of Jack Nicholson. Right. Because you're like, oh, he's going to go crazy. Because look, it's Jack Nicholson. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, so you have this movie, and it's about a group of witches, and one of them's Feruza Balk. Which one do you think is going to go crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, stacked up against Robin Tunney, Nev Campbell, Rachel True. Out of those four... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know who I'm putting my money on. Yeah, one of them's going to go crazy. Guess which one. Yeah, one of them is definitely going to be Feruza Balk. The other three are not going to be the crazy ones. <laughs> that was my only other problem yeah. with this movie. I'm like, oh man, I actually have a shining problem with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But you know, I think they all did very well. I think the cast was done really well too like yeah no i mean and it, i know what you're I'm saying, not saying she didn't do a good no, job no 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 it's just like it's it's so obvious <laughs> but she nails it man like she does a great job it leaves certain things open to explore which is one of those things i mentioned that there's rumors i read about which is really interesting oh isn't there a reboot happening so is it actually in production yet cuz i know they announced it a bit ago and people have been cast I know one of the gals cast is the daughter of the gal that does the voice for Tommy Pickles in Rugrats. Wow. That was somebody we just talked about recently, too, (laughs) isn't it? That's pretty wild. So I did read some information that... Or Tommy? No, it's not E.G. Daly's. Oh, it might have been Tommy's voice in All Growed Up, or was that also E.G.? I'm not sure. Anyway, there's a Nickelodeon voice connection. And I'm just stoned. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so some of the stuff we talked about, too, is like they said that it's going to be more of like a reboot, more so than a remake of itself. And from the little bit that I read is that they want to make it more modern, right? Okay. 
And a lot of the gals from this film said they would love to be recast, whether it's in the same roles or just in like... Have them running a fucking occult shop. Something simple like that, right? Just something that pertains to the first film. There's a connection there. But it does look like it's happening. And they said that if it starts shooting anytime soon, that it could be as early as a 2020 release. So I do know that Blumhouse is associated with it. And I believe they do have a female director for it, too, because that was one of the complaints is that they don't have enough female directors under that banner. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, man. I think it is a franchise that could really use kind of a rekindling, not necessarily remake, but a rekindling. I told you they just did a new Charmed. Yeah, (laughs) right? I mean, there's Sabrina and stuff like that. So this actually is a good wave to catch, like this witch fascination. There's been a lot of witch style films we've been covering recently that are more rooted in folk mm-hmm. horror. So there is a resurgence, a revival of sorts, Suspiria, things like that. I, I, shit, I'm down. Give it to me. Looking back on everything I've said, I feel kind of bad how much it sounds like I shit on this movie. But, but no, I mean, there's I, critiques I like to be it. had, but yeah. it, I mean, I it's like not it. a perfect film, but especially if you grew up in that time period, right? And it was marketed towards your age group and you connect it to these characters because essentially this is a story about outcasts. In a high school setting, of course, in this case being Hollywood, Los Angeles, in a Catholic school where they don't subscribe to that religion, <laughs> as is, they're already seen I as Satan worship pursuits. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, that's. I, I think that's really fun putting them in a Catholic school and then they're going out and doing this shit. Yeah, so I mean, they're they're counterculture by every, I guess, stretch of the word, except for these girls are really hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So aside from that. Like I said, the bare basics is is a lot of people can relate, especially during that time period in your life. It's a weird transitioning phase. People going through, you know, racism. hormonal, yeah, racism. There's like hormonal things that are happening, of course. It's like you're trying to find yourself in this wave of people who are making clicks. And, you know, everybody's got their bias. It's, it's ego-driven. Mm-hmm. So that's what this film is at its core. And then you throw on the top that witchcraft is a really cool subject. It's like, it leaves things to the imagination, and there's things that are already rooted in it, too, so. And it's a teenage movie. Who doesn't like teenage 90s movies? Ooh, witchy woman. Yeah. So. See how high she flies. <laughs> I'm saying. I've always been interested, and it's really interesting when you see a story that's not just, you know, the women in their big pointy hats, riding mm-hmm. on broomsticks, and stirring big old cauldrons. It's like, this one is a little bit more modern, and it's an interesting tape because these are teenage witch. Yeah. That's not Sabrina. Exactly. Yeah, no, I dug it. Shit, so should we let them know what next week is? Right, so we gave you our first two clues, right? We should rehash them. First one we did last week. With late Chrome to Skull. rest. Yep, late to rest. This week, the craft. And now you have like two weeks to think of the answer. Next week, we will be covering Pumpkinhead. Yeah, dude. Lance Henriksen, it's going to be awesome been a long fucking time since i've seen that movie i'm stupid excited to see that again yeah too. and we just mentioned too that the soundtrack is getting released pretty soon too like on a double vinyl and i think we also mentioned that i don't remember that soundtrack at all so i'm excited <laughs> to see this movie yeah so, so there's gonna be remember. all kinds of rehashings yeah so i can see why that's a big deal for people basically no doubt anyway in order to listen to us next week Please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. You can always head over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's more ways to listen up at the top. The latest episode always streaming down at the bottom. Throughout the middle, you're going to have links to all of our online portals. 
the Facebook, the Insta, the Twitter, as well as our entire back archives. You can go listen to any of our episodes. Oh, you can also contact us through the website or by hitting us up squirmcast at gmail.com. Whatever you have to say, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) I know we say from week to week, don't be shy. You can uh, hit us up. Say hello. Hit us up with a fucking answer for what our theme is. Yeah, if you figure it out, don't be afraid. And on top of that, maybe as part of that, you can recommend a film. If you have suggestions, maybe for some like little segments we could introduce. Or if you're in the industry, if you're an independent filmmaker, need somebody to help kind of get the word out about your film, let us know. We're always kind of inclined to help do reviews in that way. And we love you. Of course we do. It's almost Halloween. We're in that season now. I know I really need to watch some more horror, but all my shows are coming back too. So yeah, there there has to be a balance because we do live a very busy lifestyle. So I might not get thirty days in, but I'd like to do maybe a third of that between right. now yeah, and Halloween. That's kind of what I'm thinking too. If I can get like ten days in, I'm going to be feeling pretty. good. I think that's realistic for us. I mean, we already got one coming up, so we just got to find nine more. That's right. Shit, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms out. out.